king, the comfort of the spirit of truth, hearts everywhere present with those tall things, trash your blessings and give of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Does everyone, does anyone want a physical copy? Because I have, did I hear a yes? Yes. 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 Alright, I only have two, so I can't. Here's one. All right, last week uh, you all went through the creed. So, unfortunately, I don't think that it got recorded. So, uh, I heard it was good. Good. The, I did, I, you know, this is my first time going around with the, the, <laughs> this form because I keep changing the form of catechism. And uh, if I had known the symbol of faith section was as long as it is, because it is, it's long. Uh, but it is worth it. Part of the reason in getting Hopco and having you read it is you're going to know all the basics of what is going on in the church and the faith of the church. Were there any questions in regards to the creed? The Nicene-Constantinopolitan creed? You all just go through it article by article. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then church, etc. that flows from the Spirit. We yep. actually ended up talking a lot about the Trinity. Which is Good. Yes. Oh, I wonder why that is, right? Because <laughs> like, the creed, I mean, if, if there is... How many of you grew up in a church that confessed creeds? Even charismatics? Really? Well, what creed would they I mean, do? It's not, it's not verbatim, but it's, it's... Do they do like the Apostles' Creed? Yes. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. That is typical in a lot of Protestant churches. Which one's that? I don't remember because we don't ever use it liturgically. It's shorter. It's, it's shorter. It's based off nice and it has to be. It's, yeah, it's, it's very similar but shorter. It's like I believe in one God, Father, etc. But I don't remember all the specifics. I never spent enough time in those churches. It's probably the to same do it. they use the Catholic. Yeah, the Catholics will use it interchangeably with the Nicene Creed. Uh, so the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. The development of creeds, did you all talk about the development of creeds? Because that wasn't in there. Uh, creeds came from, obviously from argumentation. What we get is the product of uh, basically a bunch of priests and bishops and theologians getting together and arguing with each other about what is the best way with our language to be adequate and reflect what the experience of the church worshiping Jesus Christ and what is in accordance with scripture, right? We have a basic fundamental issue. How do we, if we believe in the faith of Israel, how do we believe that Jesus Christ is God? If you have the Father or Yahweh as God, how does this work? So a lot of the history of the church is trying to figure out the language that is the best language uh, that adequately reflects what scripture and what our experience of worshiping him is. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the creed early on, nascent or early creeds, you kind of see this in Paul where he talks about on the night in which he's betrayed, he gave, like he, he kind of goes through this kind of basic 
uh, beliefs. You can see this in some of the pastoral epistles. This kind of like we believe in Jesus Christ who came and died, and then uh, all that kind of language. There was very early on in the baptismal rites of the church. There was some kind of you confessed the faith, right? Catechesis is all basically about learning what the faith of the church is. So historically the baptismal rite always had the creed in it and if you see a baptismal rite to this day the very beginning of it before the official baptism part you have the uh, basically prayers of exorcisms uh, where you basically the demons are cast out of you when Jesus says go uh, you have then uh, the confession of faith you also have uh, the uh, the rejection I, I um reject Satan and all his pomp and all his power, right? And then also adhesions, which are, I believe that Jesus is truly God, uh, and I bow down before him. And then there's a confession of faith where one reads, uh, or the best is have, have memorized the creed already, confesses what the faith is. If it is a baby, then it is the godparent who is confessing on behalf of and is promising to raise the child in that faith. Uh, then the baptism after all of that that is then when the actual baptism service starts which is blessed is the kingdom and then the baptismal service so <clears throat> the entire bedrock of the Christian faith is the Holy Trinity right uh, and I don't know about you guys when I was growing up outside of the Orthodox Church uh, we were even afraid of saying something like Holy Trinity because it's not in the Bible as such, right? Do you know of a passage that says, Holy Trinity? Uh, there's some interpolations, or at least some additions, and I haven't checked up on this in, in some time in First John that has language about Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, but you have, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, as we have in the reading, uh, you see this pattern of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, at the very beginning of the anaphora, where I say, uh, um, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That is a quote from Corinthians. Uh, you have these Trinitarian. I remember after becoming Orthodox, going back and reading Paul, and just my mind being blown at all of these little... It doesn't say explicitly all the time, like, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like the way that we do, but he's very much talks about God in these three... This is where it always gets tricky <laughs> with talking about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is what the basic tradition is, is that we have waves that are kind of like fences. On a Wednesday night, uh, that further up and further in, we've been doing this in a lot more depth and specificity, reading St. John of Damascus. Uh, if you want to go deep down dive on this, then that's where you can go on this. But Hopko does a good job of kind of just basically giving the parameters of what we believe about the Trinity. Uh, what we have with the Trinity is that we know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because that's how God revealed himself to us. This is not uh, academic or philosophical speculation. This is something that the fathers are very adamant about is that we did not get to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because a bunch of guys and gals got around and cogitated their ways into the Trinity. But that is what we know from what has been revealed. 
that we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that we know who God the Father is in the face of Jesus Christ, the language of Scripture, and that we also enjoy the Holy Spirit, the God's presence uh, within us in being able to, because of Christ, being able to call upon God as Father. This is the basic kind of Pauline, uh, I think I talked about this a little bit a few classes ago, Paul's basic ways of talking about what it means for someone to become a Christian is that you're baptized into Christ, or other languages say, like, you're adopted. He's the elder son. You're adopted into the household of God the Father, and then you are given the rights of uh, that relationship by being able to call God Father, right? Because you stand in relationship to God the Father because of Jesus Christ, and then you are gifted the Holy Spirit, the deposit of faith, the, the one whom uh, reveals to us Jesus Christ. And this is something that we'll, we will get, that God is not operating where like God the Father created and then Jesus uh, came along and kind of dwelled, like settled and dwelled, and then the Holy Spirit. That every action of God is always a triune action. Uh, that there is, uh, we need to be careful because it's very easy for us to use all sorts of metaphors that we maybe got when we were growing up. Uh, are you familiar with the metaphor of like water, ice, and steam? Yeah. You all heard this before? I definitely heard it growing up. That's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All one essence. They're all different. That's not a very good way to talk. Just like shamrocks are also like, that's okay. That's also apocryphal about St. Patrick, I believe. I don't know if that's actually accurate about St. Patrick. Uh, we can. There are things in the world that we can use as analogies, and this is kind of the key of, like, we can talk about, like Hopko uses in the Father's Talk like this. We're human persons, right? We all share the nature of humanity, right? As long as none of you are lizard people, right? Okay, good. <laughs> Some of you understand... <laughs> So, there is in God, he is one nature, and then there's three persons. We have to be careful when we start talking about three persons, though, that we don't start thinking like Kathleen, Catherine, Father Daniel, Father, Son, sorry, <laughs> Holy Spirit, right? Like, that is not, and then we start thinking of, like, the personality of Kath. That's not how God works and is, Right? So when we start using some of these words, and the fathers, when they start using some of this vocabulary, they have to kind of empty out the vocabulary and they just kind of use words to kind of be placeholders so that it's like pointing to a truth, but the, the word itself, they could have used other words per se because they argued about this. But it's not that like we have to think of like the, psycholo the psychological content of me as the father, and that's how then how like God the father is like has a personal history and all that stuff in the way that a person does. We need to be careful when we're talking about God. There's always limits on our language about how we talk about God. Because God is always God, right? He's beyond us. He has revealed himself to us. He has stooped down. He's condescended in the language of the church and revealed himself. And we do know him, but he's not a, you know, he's not a thing in the world in the way, uh, that all these other things, we don't know him in that way, right? We know him in a different way. That doesn't, now all of that to say, like, we do know Jesus Christ, <laughs> and we do know him, and he was t touched, etc. That's not a denial of that. But as we're talking about 
the ascended uh, Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have to be careful about how we are talking with our language. Uh, when we, let's just go through, I don't usually just turn to the text, but I think it is good for us to uh, go to the text. It's, you don't have to have it in front of you, but if you do have it in front of you, 134, or if it's online, or do you have the book, like a PDF? Uh, I'm going on the wrong doctrines of the Trinity. And we're going to go 134 and talk about four different bad ways to talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. At the top, we have one wrong doctrine is that the Father alone is God and the Son and Holy Spirit are creatures. Right? What does this sound like? If you're going to think of a classic, do you, are you a reader or an auditory? Uh, I read, do you want me to read something? No, no, just, just if you want to look, look at it. If you yeah, look I actually it. read this. Okay. I think I did the reading, okay, so good. I know what you're talking about. Okay, good. Uh, is there a historic heresy that you can think of? Arianism? Arianism, right? Yeah. They're still Arians to this day. That doesn't mean Nazis, okay? <laughs> We're talking about something completely different. We are talking about uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Uh, and Mormons, although Mormons are a special case of heretical, uh, but Jehovah's Witnesses specifically, I mean, they'll even kind of say Arius was like this misunderstood person or whatever. He was understood. <laughs> the church rejected what he taught. Jesus is not the greatest being in the universe. He is the son of God. He has always been begotten of the Father. There was never a time, and this is where Arius, there's, uh, have you ever heard of the Pied Piper uh, and Drew Out the Snakes? That, that is based off of Arius. Arius made songs up and like had the local taverns and the guys in the docks singing. Basically, there was a time when he was not. So he like popularized his heresy and it got spread to the docks and then got around. St. Gregory the Theologian talks about how you couldn't go into the marketplace this is like a generation afterwards. You couldn't go to the marketplace without everybody going like, what do you believe about the sun? Like, so it was this kind of, that's probably hyperbolic. I'm sure it wasn't exactly like that. But you know how like, maybe let's use Tennessee football around here or something like that, that everybody, some people don't really talk about it, but other people are like really into it. So there is this strong uh, idea and it still floats around. Uh, if you don't have the tradition of the church, this is kind of what I, I saw happen a lot when I was growing up, is that basically if you don't have the tradition of the church and kind of the structure, strictures, not just structures, you end up just repeating all the ancient heresies and you don't even realize what you're doing because everybody just has the Bible and they're just think, trying to think for themselves. That sounds very nice, but it doesn't usually work like that. I grew up in a tradition that, this is funny, I grew up in a tradition which would deny that it was a tradition that would say that all we believe is the Bible and we, we speak what the Bible speaks from silent and the Bible is silent. Well, the problem is, even what I just said, the Bible doesn't say speak what the Bible speaks and be silent and the Bible is silent, right? You, the church is a living body organism that helps guide and shape us because just like the Ethiopian eunuch, had Philip transported to him to be able to teach him. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Can you interpret Isaiah? You know, the 50, the, the servant <coughs> passages in Isaiah? Then Philip interprets for him, right? The church helps us be able to say, no, 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 no. If you go down that path, that's, that's trouble. Uh, the second heresy is that God in himself is one God who merely appears in different forms to the world. Can anyone think of a, uh, how to call that heresy? 
You're right that it's not the name of a heresy, although most Christians would think basically Hinduism is paganism. Uh, I know there's different forms of Hinduism, but uh, it is something like avatars, right? This is kind of God and the kind of these names of God or avatars that appear. Uh, so this is what we call modalism. God appears and like there's one God, but he appears as the father. And there's one God, and then he appears as the Son. And there's one God, and he appears as the Spirit. It's like he's wearing masks. Right? <laughs> that is not what the church believes. Uh, you have, I think, one of the good testing grounds for what you think about the Trinity. Uh, and this is what why we even sing at the Feast of Theophany. Just think of our Lord's baptism. If it is modalism, you have God speaking to himself or like ventriloquism or this like and then you have him also float like it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit they are I have to be very careful here in the language I'm going to use that we can make differentiations between them they have enough so when I, if I say individuality I don't mean individualism like what we mean right but like because they're united in purpose will energy like they are fully united uh, but they are separate or they're individuals. Again, be careful with that, okay? Distinct. So you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What? Distinct. I like distinct better. Thank you. Uh, but they are not uh, discrete individuals in the same way that we think of individuals, right? Um, they are persons, but and we'll talk about that in a minute. The third one is that all of these are just metaphors. This is kind of like modalism. Uh, but this is, it is a metaphor. God speaks as the father, or he is like a father to all of creation. And then he's also a son. I don't know how exactly the relationship, because if you look at the life of Jesus, who is Jesus talking to all the time? Who is Jesus praying to? Is he praying to himself? No, he's praying to God the father, because as we're going to learn, like everything comes from, I think you guys talked about the monarchy or the monarchy of the father a lot. And that's what Deacon said. Uh, that was one of the biggest kind of lights for me. I'd kind of known a little bit about some things about the Trinity, but like for the Orthodox Church, a lot of this is St. Basil and St. Gregory uh, helping to shape this, obviously from Scripture, but we're talking about one God because we call, I mean, this is even in the Creed, right? I believe in one God, the Father. <laughs> that's, that's not like comma that's making you think one God and then Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is true, but it's one God, the Father. And then he begets the son, and then he, from the father proceeds, or if you want to use the Latin, spirates. I, I just really like the Latin there, was spiral, like that he comes from the father, right? Uh, these aren't just metaphors. There is substance, father and the son and the spirit are all consubstantial with each other. They're co-reigning, they're co-equal, uh, all these languages. This is also why throughout our hymnody we're constantly talking about this. Uh, there's constant invocation of the Trinity. There's constant invocation in prayers that are directed even like the anaphora, right? Like that anaphora is directed to the Father. We have prayers that are directly to the Son. We have prayers that we have to the Holy Spirit. In your morning prayers, evening prayers, they will be directed to particular persons of God. So another wrong doctrine is that the Father is one God, the Son is another God, and the Holy Spirit still is another God. That's a pretty obvious thing, right? We're, we're not... St. Gregory of Nyssa even has uh, 
I believe it's a letter, if I remember correctly, where it says why we don't believe in three gods and one god, where he's basically working out and talking about the monarchy of the Father. We're not tritheists. We're monotheists. Uh, the, the problem is, is how do you define monotheism? If you have very strict Jewish or Islamic interpretation of monotheism, then we have a whole other ballpark of problems that unless you guys are really interested in that we don't really have time today to go into the depths of the differences of that but we can outside of class does anyone have any other questions about doctrines or things that you were taught growing up about the trinity I do find it fascinating my experience with a lot of groups growing up or just being exposed and talking to folks is the Trinity is not talked about very much because the Trinity is not understood. That's why it's not talked about. It's not understood. And so what you end up with is a focusing on one person of the Godhead to the detriment of the others. So I don't know of very many Father Alone folks out there. Do you all know? <laughs> Maybe Oneness Pentecostals would count as that, where they don't believe there's three persons and they're a more of a kind of a modalism. And when I've heard them articulate or debate about this, uh, you have... The Unitarians? Unitarians, yes. Unitarians are weird in many ways. Socialism and like old hairs. This is the thing. is like you think like, oh, the church stamped all this stuff out because, you know, Constantine and they all... That's not how it actually went down. There are certain times where there was like a suppression of things, but these... There's a reason why when you get up to St. John of Damascus, 700s, 800s, he's still talking about some of these heresies because, well, we still have Arians around. <laughs> like, we have Neo-Arians, if you want to call them that. They might have a different way of articulating it, but some of them even do look back to Arius and champion him as, you know, he, was, he really had something going there. Uh, you have constant challenges with the Trinity. Um, most, I think, are basically Jesus only. And then the Pentecostals are coming on and be like, yeah, but we read about the Spirit a whole lot. And then it becomes the Holy Spirit. And, but all of that, and I think this is also, it reflects in the life of the church and spirituality. There is flowing from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? There is order. There is uh, a community of love. The Father begetting the Son, loving the Son. And then the spirit being uh, coming from the father uh, and alighting and being the love of the father, alighting this language, but look, resting on the sun and then like shining forth from the sun. This is our experience of Jesus, right? Paul talks about you can only call Jesus Lord. How? By the Holy Spirit, right? There is always in God, the father, son and Holy Spirit, uh, as Hopko talks about. Uh, with the one Father, the Son and the Spirit are always working together with the Father, right? It's not the Father does something, the Son does something discreetly in the Spirit. They all are working together. Our salvation is worked out. The Father desiring it, uh, saying this is the plan, the Son accomplishing the plan, but the whole time, what is the Son doing? He's grabbed on in prayer to the Father. Jesus is the example for us. If we are made in the image of God, we're made in the image of Christ, not to separate, but like he gives us everything that a human is supposed to do. So he is connected and holding on to the Father in prayer. That's why he can offer up even his sacrifice. That is what the sacrifice is. Why the cross and sacrifice? Because he goes through all of that and is faithful to the Father to the end, knowing that the Father will do something 
like raised him from the dead, right? So, and how does the father raise the son from the dead? If you look at Romans 1, what does it say that the son is raised by? The Holy Spirit, right? There is always, you see the, the baptism, after the baptism of Christ, where he is anointed and made public, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Who, who drives him into the wilderness? The Spirit. The Spirit. Who uh, gives Christ the power? That, that Even that, like, who is working with Christ in all of his miracles? It is always the Holy Spirit. Who is Christ when he is doing those miracles praying to? God the Father, right? There, there is this, con- it is always Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit operating. And we get plugged into that relationship because God is not a monad, right? It's not individual uh, who sits at the top of the universe and is the most powerful thing. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a community of love. And we are introduced into that community. Again, I'm going to say community. I'm going to be careful about how I'm using words. Yep. I was going to say, in my Protestant experience, I've noticed this kind of hierarchy of um, addressing the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. So, like, if someone's going to do a formal prayer in front of a group of people, Father God, it's typically Father God. And then, if it's like a more casual setting, I've noticed it's like Buddy Christ, Lord, yeah, basically <laughs> like Lord Jesus or whatever. And then, if you're talking about something you felt was put on your heart, something that you felt, it's the Holy Spirit, and so. <laughs> I almost never have heard anyone address the Holy Spirit in a prayer, like beginning a prayer with Holy Spirit. Um, so I'm just kind of like recognizing that and how to, I don't know, reconcile that. Not reconcile in the way that it's correct because I don't think it's correct, but like, you know, just kind of seeing yeah. that hierarchical way that we view the Trinity. We do kind of have a hierarchical view of the Trinity, even like that is from the monarchy of the Father, right? So, this is why we need prayers and prayer books to help form us. The Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal is also traditionally attributed to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever realized that, but Holy God, Father, Holy Mighty, or Holy Strong, Jesus, Holy Immortal One, Holy Eternal One, depends on the English translation. Spirit, but all of is Jesus, Holy God, Holy Mighty, and Holy Immortal. Is the Spirit, Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal? Uh, we have prayers that are directed, and a lot of times the prayers that are directed to the Father, like the Anaphora, are about kind of the way in which the economy of salvation has been done for us. Christ is usually forgiveness of sins, uh, acting, etc. The Holy Spirit is also. Because the Holy Spirit, this is one of the things that I have noticed a lot about those who talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, is that it's like the Holy Spirit is somehow disconnected from the Father and the Son and kind of operative. In the the Orthodox faith, the Holy Spirit is always resting on the Son, which means the cross itself is where the Spirit dwells. The Spirit is always following Christ. There's not this kind of, there's no competition, there's no, they, he is always present with Christ, and if you're going to find the Spirit, you're going to find Christ. When you find Christ, the Spirit is always present, and so is the Father. But there's this tendency, uh, partly because we have associated the Spirit, and we do this with God, 
like the Holy Spirit is like God's spirit, God's emotions. So the Holy Spirit in us is like our emotions, which is not traditionally what the Holy Spirit is God dwelling within us. The Holy Spirit is what's conforming us to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts uh, us of sin. If you just go through John, right? Like he is the paraclete. He's the defender. He's the one who prays within us with words when we don't have the words. Like it all makes sense when you see it like he's never operating outside of this, the, the sovereignty of the, the son who in his sovereignty is given to him, given to him by the father. So I, I think there is always, you should never, you can address each person, but they're always, even in addressing, the, you're always talking to all three in a way as well, right? They're not disconnected from each other. I don't know if I exactly answered. I, I think you're right that there is, if you don't have enshrined in your worship and the ritual life together, I'll just call it that, uh, you're always going to be very loose with it. You need the grammar given to you so that you can learn the ropes about how to pray and how to be conformed to the image of Christ in the tradition. Because otherwise it's just a free-for-all. Which is never a free-for-all. No, because, because you all, learn your little routine that you say. Because you, you say, because I could have yeah, guessed that you're going to say Father God, yeah. because that's how right. a lot of, pro just, and, and everyone just mimics each other. Right. Because yeah. we're tradition, like, we all are tradition bearers. Mm -hmm. Like, there's right. no way out of a tradition. Mm -hmm. It's just, is you your tradition happen. good? <laughs> it I just put it that bluntly, but yeah. So, last time we were going around the idea of God being one, and this emphasis on the unity of God, and then we, we also talked about the seemingly hierarchical structure of like God the Father being on top because of how the Apostle Paul says that at the end of the world even Christ himself we will offer everything up to the Father so we may be all in all so, so that make so that God may be all in all yes and so we're just trying to reconcile on one side the emphasis in the unity but also the, this hierarchical structure mm -hmm. I guess both things just, just coexist or something so in God, I think, so hierarchy, do you realize that word was made up by Dionysius, the Areopagite? That word didn't exist before. And it doesn't necessarily mean when we say hierarchy, we think of like military. Yeah. God does not have a hierarchy in that way. So yes, the father is the font of divinity. He is, but he is, and this is the, why it's love and why it is like, he gives his entire being to the son. He is, they are co, you know, consubstantial with each other. There's not that the son is subordinate. This is a challenge in the early church. You can very easily see how this could, like, Jesus obviously is subordinate to the father, but he's not subordinate. If we're talking about God. We're not talking about humans, right? There is a sense. It's just like, I'm equal as a person with you guys. If you are a baptized, charismatic Christian, you have full standing as a person in the church uh, as I do. I just have a particular role that I play uh, as a priest. And I'm not downgrading the priesthood by just saying I, I have a role like I can just put on the mask and then take it off or something like that. But that there is still this basic equality, just different functions that occurs. Like a bishop is not a better person. They're supposed to be holier. That is what is called upon because they have more responsibility in the body. This goes back to Paul, right? Which part of the body is more or better than? We, every, everything is needed. So in, in the Trinity, I would be 
while we can say this kind of hierarchy, I think we need to be careful because it doesn't replicate itself in the same way that when we have hierarchy. Does that make sense? Yeah. And this is where everything gets really confusing really quick because we're talking about something. One, we're, we're talking about God and we're trying to... <laughs> That in, and this is where St. Gregory the Theologian in talking about we all if we're going to talk about God we should be very far along the process of cleansing our hearts and that's why we need to be very careful when we talk about God because our own how shall I say this it's hard for us to see him very clearly if the mirror is all smudged up with all sorts of grit and grime that we have because of our sins because again, this isn't just a sitting around and cogitating. All of the point of the Trinity is to bring us to glorify and praise and doxology of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is not just trying to figure out metaphysics or something. Uh, it helps to know these things so that you understand the world the right, but it doesn't really help if you knew all, if you have memorized all the fathers on, on God and could talk, you know, replicate everything that you need to know, but you're still deeply <laughs> admired in your sins it, it, it's great you know a bunch of stuff but that's not the point the point is actually that, I'm, I'm thankful that I had a very eclectic background that I was raised Catholic and then I quote got saved in the Protestant church because I guess because I was raised in the Catholic church something was wrong with me because <laughs> <laughs> in the United States it's either both bad Catholics but I tell you, my when I think I never had a problem with the Holy Spirit. I guess I mean with the Trinity because I think growing up in the Catholic Church, we recited it, sure. and it was like like after He's crucified, it just makes so much sense. And on the third day He rose again, according to the Scriptures, ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Now, how in orthodoxy are we supposed to visualize that? Are we supposed to visualize that as the Father here and the Son as so the right hand? Can I just say I, I wouldn't suggest visualizing much of anything. When the fathers talk about prayer, they tell you not to visualize things. Because what almost always happens when you try to visualize things is that you're bringing all of your presuppositions and things, and it's very easy to get enraptured in your own thoughts. Why do we say thoughts. at the right hand of God the Father then? Because, I mean, English, because we that's have how all, we communicate. We communicate Yeah, we communicate metaphors. Yeah. Yeah, we all, there's no way because we're embodied. We have to communicate metaphors, yeah. right? Like, Come and see me. <laughs> like, talk to me. Like, all of it, we're always going to presume space and time. We're talking about God, where space and time are not involved anymore. Especially, I mean, he's ascended and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. We can't think of a little throne. These are all metaphors for us to be able to understand the reality of what we're talking about. And this well, is how the Fathers all talk about it. I always pictured that God the Father, you know, G Jesus came into the world and he was crucified he went back up to earth yeah. and then he comes no. into the world through the holy spirit but then in the protestantism it was always the, the you know if you're not experiencing an emotional experience an emotional high or a feeling then you're not really um in the spirit in the spirit yeah. and so my he, problem was is i let, let's, your emotions I, come and go i'm gonna bring this back in so part part of the challenge that Protestantism typically will always have, and I say typically because there's different kinds, is they don't have sacraments. You are not grounded in the practices right. of the church. You are always on your own. Right. You're and it's about your individual your experience yeah. as opposed to what That's the what community... I wanted, ground, you know, wanted roots. So what 
the the whole point of the church is to bring you into the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is why part of the reason for not using your imagination a lot is there's some level where it's like it just the fathers talk about it as a lower level of prayer because it inevitably what it brings in is all of our own ideas and things and it's very easy for us to get fixated on our ideas of things and kind of go back to that emotional response to what we're imagining as opposed to just a deep repentance and letting God work on us so yeah, I see you have a copy of the Philokalia that's what they will say in there so uh, when we are talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's go over to 137. We're talking about persons. Just top of 137. Will somebody read the first three paragraphs? I'll read it. There you go. In Orthodox terminology, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are called three divine persons. Person is defined here simply as the subject of existence and life. Uh, let me know if I pronounced this correctly or incorrectly. Hippo, uh, sorry. Hypostasis. Hypostasis. In the tradition, traditional church language. As the being, essence, or nature of a reality answers the question, what, the person of reality answers the question, which one? or who. Thus, when we ask, what is God? We answer that God is the divine, perfect, eternal, absolute. And when we ask, who is God? We answer that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The saints of the church have explained this tri-unity of God by using such an example from worldly existence. We see three men. What are they? We ask. They are human beings, we answer. Each man, each is man, possessing the same humanity and the same human nature, defined in a certain way, created, temporal, physical, rational, etc. In what they are, the three men are one. But in who they are, they are three, each absolutely unique and distinct from the others. Each man, in his own unique way, is distinctly a man. One man is not the other though each man is still human with one and the same human nature and form. So I, I thought this is a very helpful way to just kind of summarize. You say, what is God eternal? All this stuff is the beginning of the anaphora, right? Uh, and then we ask who? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is uh, what it means, his essence, his divinity. But when you talk about the persons, we are asking a question about who he is. God is not uh, is not a mathematical equation. He is not just uh, a thing. I think this is very easy for us to think of like the, like a thing. Now, as being in a Christian culture, we all have already kind of imbibed the idea that God is a person that you can talk to. But this is a very think about this: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are co-reigning, co-eternal, co a, a community of love. And then you think about the pantheon of gods that existed in Greco-Roman society. Zeus and Hera, and like all of the craziness, the chaos, the, again, I'm sorry, the sermon of like the violence and insanity of the Greco-Roman gods. And then you look at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that at the heart of everything, the creator, the font of everything is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not a monad that just, you know, 
made everything happen uh, or that just set everything uh, going, but it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that also supports all of creation, that it is not the deist problem. Are you guys familiar with deism? Basically, God created uh, kind of a machine and kind of just let things go, like the, the clock. Uh, but the God is present and we wouldn't exist without him supporting, sustaining, allowing reality to be. Because he has to be present for it to be. Right? Otherwise it goes, it slides into nothingness. This is, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, the Holy Trinity in creation. And then we've talked a little bit about Holy Trinity and salvation. Is there any questions that you all have about the rest of this chapter? about the sacraments or church or creation or salvation you can see the holy trinity is reflected in man being made in the image of god we have the holy trinity reflected in how we have been saved which we've talked about the holy trinity in the church we're all together in this as a bunch of persons and we are supposed to be imaging forth and being like the Trinity that we all love and give ourselves up for the other one because that is basically what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Father gives his being to the Son and the Son basically gives his love and adoration of the Holy Spirit back is this kind of constant flowing of being and love that is at the corner of everything Father Daniel I mean I did the reading and like I can comprehend what it's saying in a sense, but in another sense, I'm I'm never gonna comprehend, mm -hmm. you know, the, this idea of the Trinity, three and one, one and three. I mean, is it wrong to just resort to the fact that I believe in God because He's beyond my realm of even understanding? I mean, absolutely. <laughs> this is not. I mean, the Father. If we, if you were just in the class with John Damascus. You're literally, you cannot comprehend God. You can know him, but you cannot comprehend him. He is not 2 plus 2 equals 4. Right. He's beyond, the way the Father's talk. he's beyond being itself. He's not a thing that we can talk about mm -hmm. in the way that the world is. Right. You know, like I can measure this table. I can talk about the properties of the table. Everything that when we were talking about God, they all have to, this is where apophatic comes in. If you've heard of this big $30 word where when we say that God is good, he's not like my goodness or your goodness. He's beyond. It's like basically any word that we use, we have to in saying it say, but he's more than that. So it's not just like a lot of people would say apophaticism is like a negative. I can only speak negatively about God. I think it's probably better or easier to say like, I can only speak in a way with words that his meaning is always above and beyond and like more abundant than that word can capture because my language fails to capture who he is. I mean, I was to say this is the, the parallel to like, this is the same about all of us. Like language, you can kind of describe who each other are and as you get to know each other. You can be married to somebody for years and years and years, and they can be a complete mystery to you still. Not completely, completely, but oh, <laughs> although this is true, right? Like, as you know people, you can know your parents. And you can know them, and then there's still the freedom of a person is an abyss sometimes, right? Like, you just... So what you do know 
And this is why you can make, I'll say, the gamble of marrying somebody, right? Because <laughs> you know what they put out, or like the, what the fathers talk about. We don't know the essence of God, but we know him in his energies, which this makes us sound like we're like um, hippies or something. Yeah, about energies. I don't, like the, I don't like using that language because of the baggage that... But in energia is in the Greek, which basically means his works towards us, right? You know me because I speak, you see me, you, act, like, and you can kind of get a basic idea of who I am that way, right? Just like I can, just like your spouse or your family or friends, etc. You can kind of get to know who they are, but they're still free. This is even more so for God. Like we get to know who God is, especially we get to know him through scripture, but we also get to know who Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is through prayer and through the sacramental life of the church. Because this is how Christ comes to us now. Uh, he doesn't come in our midst uh, in the incarnation, but he comes to us under bread and wine. He comes to us in baptism. He comes to us uh, with chrism. Because we can kind of basically say baptism is Christ and then the Holy Spirit is the Holy... Uh, sorry, chrismation is the Holy Spirit, the, giving, give, the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're connected to each other, absolutely. Right? You don't get chrism without having been baptized into Christ. But that movement and then reception of the gift of Christ in the sacrament, all of these things uh, work together to bring us to, need, to unity, to bring us into uh, the perichoresis or the, the kind of inner life of God himself. God in us, God for us, and kind of like the, the, the shield or the breastplate. you know the breastplate of St. Patrick, right? Like... God before us, God behind us, God, you know, we are in Christ and we're able to pray to God the Father through the Holy Spirit in Christ. Did someone, I saw a hand. Yeah, which is why it blew my mind reading St. Maximilian Confessor saying something like, God is absolutely everywhere, but he's absolutely nothing. Like, nothing in, in the sense of yep. no, no dash, like he's no thing. He's not a thing. It's like, what, what are you saying? It's very easy for us when we were kids to have, to, to not, like, to have this vision of God in this with a beard and sitting on a throne and stuff. All those things are there for us because we can't not know things unless we have embodied images and metaphors, etc. That's how we know. But we need to be very careful when we talk about God because He's God. He is sacrosanct. He is sui generis. He is other. This is a great mystery that he's come and revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And we have come to know him. Having faith in the mystery, uh, a faith in the mysteries, where the, they're incomprehensible, but we believe them. Mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> doesn't make them irrational either. This isn't about no, no, irrational. They're reasonable. They're yeah. absolutely reasonable. But it's like all color, half of all colors are yellow, and half of all colors are red, and half of all colors are blue. Three halves make a whole, mm -hmm. right? It's reasonable, but it's not rational in the strict sense. So, but we can have that faith in the mysteries, even if we can't understand how they work, because they're by definition mysteries. The mysterion means you can't comprehend it, mm -hmm. as opposed to our use of the word mystery, which means a thing to be solved. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely different mm -hmm. usage. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Father, I just like five. <laughs> I don't know murder mysteries. 
Yeah, it's it's the point that, that you made is partly why, like, if we, you know, have children and they ask us, you know, how do you describe the Trinity? I maybe even at this point in my faith journey, I might not even try to do all this explaining or like to a, a friend who's trying to understand it, or like a Protestant friend because it's so outside of our realm of matter, gravity, time, space, mm-hmm. you know, but resorting to and being even, you know, content in the mystery of his, his goodness, his being without trying to prove it like a, like a mystery that in you today's sense. Yes, you can't, you, God is, you cannot prove God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You might be able to logically deduce, and the ancients and medievals thought you could basically deduce monotheism. And you can kind of get that even from Plato and some of the early Greeks, that they basically got to some kind of monism, like there's some Mm -hmm. unity behind all the diversity of things. Um, I mean, even Hinduism, we talked about Hinduism, kind of has this idea that there's like a unity behind all the diversity. But we don't know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit unless he's actually been revealed. I mean, we can all sit around and talk about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we need to actually, uh, this is why with our children, we bring them to church. We do explain things because it is reasonable, but we will, this, this is always the challenge with the language of mystery and apophaticism or these things is that we think that we can't say anything. The problem is, is that we can't say enough and we have to be careful with our language because it has to be guarded and guided by the tradition as opposed to just kind of, you know, uh, ice, water, steam. Mm -hmm. What we really need is uh, to keep invoking Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, listen to the language uh, that the church has, and have scripture be our main guide about how we're going to speak. Like, you know who Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is. When we say the Our Father, we're talking to God the Father. And it's Jesus who uh, gives us access to pray to God the Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who resides within us uh, and is empowering us and giving us speech, as it were, right? So there are some certain ways that I think is it is good to speak about to children about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's also okay for it to take a while for you all to get used to this stuff (laughs) because it takes a while and it doesn't require that everybody gets a PhD in the fathers about how to talk about the Trinity either because the language of the prayer books and the language of the services will help guide in that way. One more thing, sorry. Um, This is what this is for. (laughs) Would you say, I'm just like, I'm I'm trying to imagine a 15-year-old boy getting into the divine liturgy and like trying to make sense of everything because it's like very messy at first like like so many things happening at the same time but then this 15 year old boy in one like one sunday morning he gets it like in the moment of the eucharist he experiences how everything all the multiplicity comes together in that one one moment maybe that's that's a more powerful way to not understand completely trinity but to grasp a little bit of the mystery because in that moment, not by the mind, but but by experiencing the the the, the, the meeting, uh, the reunion. Yeah. That boy uh, 
experiences how the multiple and the one can come together. So, I mean, this is like trying to talk to somebody who's not married about marriage. You can kind of talk about it, but then at some point it's just like, they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, you don't <laughs> actually. Like, you're saying yes. I mean, I did this. They're like, yeah, I get it. And then you actually live marriage or you live having a child or you live through your parents divorcing or live like these experiences or life things that you can talk about it but it's very different when you actually experience and go through that thing I also think there's something about the complexity of orthodoxy or the thickness of orthodoxy I think is actually true to the thickness and complexity of scripture and life itself and I think when you try to boil everything down and make things really simplistic you end up always lopping things off that are essential. No 15-year-old boy, no 38-year-old man is going to be able to understand all of this perfectly. We're always working towards this, and it's always... This is why what's given to us mostly is to repent and to cleanse ourselves of our sins and grab onto Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we always understand exactly how all of that works. But that is the power of the Holy Spirit operating on our lives, even if we don't know it or understand it completely. Is the faith that really in him, that he can raise from the dead, and that he can raise us from the dead. That is what the message is. And everything flows from that. That's why we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Any last questions before we end? Well, I like when St. Peter, he says, you know, some of what St. Paul says is hard. That was always very comforting to me when I was so confused. So, you can always go with Peter on that one. And they say it's hard. Yes, the the pool has a deep end, and there's also the kiddie pool, but the pool is the point. Like, you need to be in the pool. So it doesn't matter where you're at. I kind of like being in the shallow end of the the pool often. Yeah, Yeah, you're going to walk around. Uh, and then sometimes you visit the deep end or sometimes you go and dive in and then you have to go back to the kiddie pool. This is why the practice of the church, it's not this kind of deep, heady stuff. At the end of the day, it is like getting up, having yourself, open yourself up in your life and your heart to God, pray to him to be guided by the church and being able to do that instead of having the weight of everything and to have to figure it out on your own, that you are being shaped and guided by that. And that, to, see, to use contemporary parlance, it's a safe place for that faith <laughs> to actually grow and be tended to. That's why you need tradition. Yeah. That's why we all need parents and grandparents and etc. All right, let's end with prayer. Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Did you throw up with the egg? Well, they owe you for.